0: In this series, we've been learning about Jesus, how he brings living water. And John highlights this metaphor, how he brings this living water, this life, to all of us. And in this chapter, this chapter of John chapter 7, that becomes more clear than ever. In it, there's a ceremony, there's a celebration. And if you've ever been at a wedding, you know how emotional that time can be seems like there's, even though we might have many other days in our life before or after that, it comes to life. And this chapter 7 of John highlights a ceremony, a celebration that was going on. And it takes us back into the Jewish people's history and it pulls us into the greatness of, of, of a moment. The celebrations that's remembered is called the Feast of Tabernacles. Or the Feast of Booths. If you were a Jewish person, you'd call it Sukkot. And all of Israel in Jesus' day would gather from around the world and they would meet in Jerusalem. They built special shelters called Sukkots that would help them remember a time earlier in their history when they all lived in these, these shelters, these tents. There was a time... When all of Israel lived in tents. And they wanted to remember that time. One of those times that they lived in these tents was the harvest time. In the harvest season, which was about October, they would harvest their grapes, their dates, their apples, their olives, barley. And each family would collect all of these items from their fields. And they'd, they'd been living out in these tents near their fields. They'd collect them and then they'd bring a portion of it to the temple. And it was... Uh, Thanksgiving. So before we did Thanksgiving, they did Thanksgiving thousands of years ago, and it's remembered at this time. But it also points to an earlier time in Israel's history. Leaving Egypt, they lived in the desert for 40 years, and they were told to remember that time. I'd like to read just a portion of of scripture. We don't usually look at Leviticus, but I'd like to read a portion of it this morning. I think you'll find it maybe be interesting. It helps us understand better maybe what was going on in John chapter 7. So in Leviticus, we're told, say to the Israelites, on the 15th day of the seventh month, the Lord's festival, festival of tabernacles begins, and it lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. So begin with the fifteenth day of the seventh month. After you have gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of Sabbath rest, and the eighth day is also a day of Sabbath rest. On the first day, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for, a, for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters, so that your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters while I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So in this, this week-long celebration of remembering the harvest, but also remembering God walking them through the wilderness, they did very specific things. They were remembering the providential care of God at this time. It was a formative time in the people of Israel's growing up as a nation experience. It would be unacceptable for them to forget what had happened And the land they wandered in was not like Wisconsin, especially like it is today. They wandered in a desert. Imagine, hundreds of thousands of people were wandering in a desert. Where are you going to get water for all those people and all those animals? Every single day, God provided them just what they needed. The food and the, the water that was needed. God has been good. He provided for them and he has provided for us. For us to forget God's provision would be missing out. It's it's not just something to be missing out. It's a command of God because he knows that as as a people, if we forget to be grateful, if we lose track of of being grateful, we lose so much. This festival was to remind them we must be grateful A grateful people, a thankful people, is a much better people. We must give thanks. And when we don't, we miss out. So throughout this week, this week of celebration, this week of thanks, there would have been a sacrifice remembering God's provision. They would have read special psalms put together just for this festival. They're called the Psalms of Ascent. Psalm 120 through 134. And there's these 15 steps in the temple, in a certain area in the temple, and they would read, a, a priest would read one of these psalms on each step on the way up. At night, if you could have gone to the temple, if you could have walked into the temple, there, there would have been four enormous candles called menorahs. And they had these four candles, they would light them up. And it, it, it gets dark early, doesn't it, this time of the year? I think there might have been some symbolization and as the world is getting darker and as it's getting colder, these these candles would have lit up the night inside the temple. But there was one more thing that happened. On the last day, the final day, it was the pinnacle of the feast. And if people had been missing out earlier in the, in the week of the feast, they, or, or, of this feast of tabernacles, this feast of tents, this feast of booths, if they would have been missing anything, they would not have missed the last day. A priest would have walked down to the pool of Siloam and taken a bowl of water out of this pool and walked around the altar seven times. He would have taken his his bowl and he would have poured it out on the altar, symbolizing how God had provided water for them in the desert. And all of Israel would have taken these branches, these leaves, maybe from the top of their tents, and they would have waved them at, right at that moment. They would have had these special shafar horns. These horns would have been blown right at that moment. Great circumstance, great ceremony. Can you imagine walking into the temple? All of Israel would have been there. People raising their branches The menorahs are lit. The the temple is lit up. The priest has gone down into the the poolish loam. He's walked up with this ceremonial bowl. Everybody is thankful. Everybody is grateful. It's this great moment. Think of the ceremony maybe that you've been to in your life where there's great pomp, great circumstances. It's all coming together. And then at that moment, the priest would pour out that bowl and he would say these words, Hoshana Rabbah, which translated means, save now. And right then, on this day, at this feast, with all of Israel gathered into the temple, Jesus stood up and said, if you are thirsty, come and drink. I'd like Matthew to come up just now. He's going to read the passage that, was, that we're referring to this morning. As, as he reads, I hope that you can have this picture in your mind of the thousands of people that must have been present. The, the palm branches being raised. The shafar horns being blown. All of these things are happening. And then Jesus steps in. And he has these words for us. Matthew,
1: here you go. Okay, so John 7, 21 through 40. Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you are all astonished. Yet, because Moses gave you circumcision, though it did not actually come from Moses, it came from the patriarchs, you circumcised a child on the Sabbath. Now if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, and make the right judgment. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is, speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? But we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his time had not yet come. Still many in the crowd put their faith in him, they said, when, when the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I will go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our, our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if any anyone, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet entered his glory. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet we've been waiting for.
0: Thank you, Matthew. This was a culture-shocking, life-altering, mind-blowing statement right at that moment. Did you hear? He had to raise his voice. Can you imagine why he probably had to raise his voice? There's thousands of people around. There's horns blowing. They're waving these palm branches. All this is going on, and Jesus stands up in the middle of all this and says, it's unbelievable. I don't think it's an understatement at all to say it shook these people to the core. They had to deal with this Jesus. And so do we. John highlights what Jesus came to do and most of all, who he is. There's there's an outline in your program this morning and it might be helpful to look at that and maybe fill in some of the blanks this morning. It might help you understand a little bit better what John chapter 7 is all about. To get there though, uh, we should look at why does John highlight water so much? I, I found uh, it interesting that he highlights water much in his book. So the first line in, in your outline this morning is, Jesus' water is life. Jesus' water is life. In John chapter 20, verse 31, it says, But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wrote his book to help people have life and be given life, and he carefully included stories. Jesus is life. It's, It's not just that he lived. He is life. He gives life. And as we follow through John, we can see instances where he highlights how water was used to tell that story. At least seven different times, seven different pictures are used of Jesus and water, and each of them tell a little bit more of the story of who Jesus is. In John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, we find that he has turned water into wine. Just last week, Robert told us all about that, he, and he talked about the extravagant gift that Jesus gave. The water to wine may have cost $75,000. Have any of you given that kind of a gift at a wedding before? Probably not. It would be extravagant. We can't even imagine doing that. But that's what Jesus did at this wedding. He brings life. He brings change. It is, it is an extravagant gift. My friend Bill once gave me a, a gift of $500 at my wedding. My goodness. That's, okay, it's not $75,000, but that's a lot of money. $500 is a lot. So what do you do when someone gives you a very great gift? Do you dig into your pocket? and try to pay them back. That's ridiculous, right? You can't do that. So what do you do? You say thank you. And you recognize uh, the value that they must see in you for that relationship. If Jesus would pour out this kind of extravagant gift for those people and what he did with his life, how valuable is our relationship to him? Do we pay him back for that? What what are you going to give him to pay him back? It can't be done. So we say thank you. And maybe we look for ways we can be generous towards others. If we go on, we, we we read about the time that Jesus met a woman at a well in John chapter 4. And he offers forgiveness. He offers grace. She's drawing water and she was told about how she could have life. And even after she made a mess of things and she felt lost and unforgivable, she discovered that no one is out of the reach of God's love. In John chapter 5, we read about a man that was healed. He was at the pool of Bethsaida, and he was healed. And Jesus said, wait for that water. I can give you life. It he brings healing, and he just, this man just had to say, yes, I do want that healing. I will walk away. I will have a different way in life. In John chapter 6, we looked at this just a couple of weeks ago. He walked on water. He walked across the lake. He has power over all the circumstances in life. And he didn't take his disciples out of the problem. He walked with them in their issue and in their problem. Are we starting to grasp maybe a little better who this Jesus is by these stories that John tells with this water theme? Later on, In John chapter 9, he actually makes some mud with some spit. So that's a different kind of water. He helps a man see. He gives sight, not just physically, but he gives life. He gives people the power to see the life within their circumstance. And then in John chapter 13, 1 through 17, he gets down on his hands and knees at the banquet, the Last Supper, And he washes the feet of his disciples. He shows that a transformed life begins inside of us and we share it with others. We can begin to grasp who this Jesus is by reading these stories. And then in John chapter 7, perhaps the most complete picture of who Jesus is and what his water is all about. So, on the last day, The greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. The second line in your program, Jesus' water quenches thirst. Jesus' water quenches thirst. So Jesus has been at this festival all week. By the time the last day comes around, it's at least the second time, but I think it was maybe the third time that he has spoken at this great fellow festival where all of Israel has come together. And the people were first amazed at his teaching. And he points out that his teaching came from God. That's the first thing that he highlights. This teaching that I'm giving you, they were all amazed by it. He says, this teaching I've got, it came from God. Perhaps later in the week, maybe even later that same day, he, he says that he was sent from God. So first he says his words came from God. Then he says... I came from God. I am the one that arrived on, on the scene from God. And then on this last day of the feast, the third, at least the third time, but maybe in the fourth time he spoke, everyone there right in front of the priest, right as the priest walked by with his water, right after the priest may have proclaimed, Hashanah, save, which means save now. Jesus said, Are you thirsty? If anyone is thirsty, if anyone wants something to drink, I can satisfy. What does this world look for, for satisfaction? What is this world seeking? Could we think, could you start a list right now? What are people doing today to satisfy themselves? We could come up with a many things, right? The, the, a relationship that they're in. Maybe they're pursuing financial gain, a, a professional pursuit. If they can just win this ball game, it's everything that they could want, right? And we know the the studies are innumerable throughout history of people that have tried to slake their thirst on anything but Jesus, and it doesn't work. All you are thirsty, all of you, all of us, all of me that want something more than what I have right now, it is, the answer is in Jesus. This is what satisfies. In Jesus' day, there were at least three main ways people got their water. They could dig a hole in the ground called a cistern and they could fill it up with water. But you can imagine, there's problems with cisterns, right? What goes wrong with the cistern? It gets cracks in it and it leaks. What else can happen with it? What if something fell into the cistern that shouldn't be in the cistern? The water's contaminated, you can't have it. Maybe there would be a well. A well that could come up, but even then, in dry seasons, they had to be dug more deeply. And even a well could, I suppose, go bad. But the freshest water in Jesus' day, the best water they could get would come from a spring. That's living water. Water that's living is, is coming, it's moving, it's, it's alive. Jesus is giving people an opportunity to taste the freshest water there is. Living water from the best spring. And I wonder how often do we settle for less? I remember remember back as a kid, you'd get thirsty in the backyard, so you'd turn on the the hose in the backyard. And it would run through the plastic garden hose that's been sitting out in the sun all summer long. And you take a drink from that that hose, if you don't let it run for a while, what does it taste like? like? Like plastic, right? Like metal, like bad, all right? but you just drink it because you're thirsty. If you let it run long enough, it'll, it'll be better, I suppose. But how often do we settle for that? We drink stale water that sat around too long. At our house, if you, look, if you have a, like a, a bottle of water or, or a glass of water, and you let it sit somewhere and you're not paying attention to it, we have a dog. You know what that dog does? He goes right up behind you and he starts licking out of your container. Uh, and if you're aware of it, you can do something about it. But how often has it, I'm sure it's happened, you're not paying attention. What happens? The dog does what he does and then he goes away. And then, you, Okay, it happens, all right? I wish it didn't. It does, at our house anyways. And yet we, we drink this unacceptable water all the time and we think, oh, I guess it's the best we can do. All you are who are thirsty, come to me and drink. Jesus is saying, I've something more to give you. Are you are you thirsty? Let me satisfy. And if we are thirsty enough, he can deliver like nothing else. But then he goes one step further and, and he talks about this living water. And this is the last the last line in your program. Jesus waters like a river. Jesus' waters like a river. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So can you imagine? The priest is walking up there with his little, probably a beautiful bowl, a ceremony. It might have been gold. He's walking up there with his gold bowl, fills it up, and he pours it out on the altar. And what does Jesus proceed to say? Come to me, and I will give you rivers of living water. At a festival where the priests were offering bowls, he's offering a river. The way Jesus works in the lives of people is by pouring himself like a river through a person. And we're told it's by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, he can work through a person and do things we could have never imagined. The limits of God is beyond what we can understand. Just this last August, I took the soccer team that I coached to the Wolf River for some team building. Has anybody here been to the Wolf River? Some of you have been there, alright? Well, near the end of the place where we went is what, what the, the, the river is called, uh, or the, the falls there is called Big Smoky Falls. And let me tell you, it is big. It drops about 100 feet over the course of like 200 yards. The last drop is literally about 15 feet. And you can see that picture there. It's right near. It's, it's a 15-foot drop. If Next summer, I wouldn't do it today, but next summer, if you've got a free day, it's only about a 40-minute drive from here, you can head over there and you will never forget your day on the Wolf River. The power of this river knocks you right on your back there's not a person not the strongest person in the world can stand in that river i don't care how good a shoes you have you cannot stand in that river you cannot stop you cannot contain this river this wolf river must go on you can join the river with where it is going and it is amazing. It is an amazing experience. But you cannot contain it and you cannot control it. God's presence in his place here on this earth right now is, is dwelling in you and I. When Jesus was here on earth, he was one man and he was one entity and he was one power right here on this earth. But he left and instead he has the Holy Spirit indwelling in all of his people. The same power that worked in all the saints in the past is working through us today. And it is not the profound speakers. It is not the millionaires. It is far more often the normal, regular, everyday, ordinary people of this world that God does more in them than could have ever been thought. The lives of millions are refreshed by this water a river is relentless is persistent it must go where it will how god works in and through us cannot be known can any of us guess how he might work in us a river cannot be well a river could be i suppose rerouted but the water must go on if it hits an obstacle, it will find its way around it. It will go to where it must go. If an obstacle comes into this life, as as long as that river remains connected to its source, it will move on. That water will move on. In the same way, the Spirit of God works in the lives of His people. Do we experience obstacles Do we get turned, perhaps, upside down in our lives and things go completely different? Wouldn't it be far more reasonable in this life if God would just give us our paddle and we could just gently move down the stream, merrily, merrily, life is but a dream? And some of us have that journey, right? We maybe remember that time. But does it ever happen the other way? Where we drop over big smoky falls? And we land on our backs? The good news I can tell you is this. The people, every I can tell you without a every single person that went on that rafting trip, every single one of them, made it back into the bus and made it home that day. And they had an amazing story to tell. An amazing story of how it didn't happen the way they planned And in fact, it was far better. And I wonder if that's what God would wish for all of his people. He wishes that all of us staying connected to our source would discover that it was never about our plan anywhere. It was always about how God might work through his people by his Holy Spirit to complete what he wanted. And in ways and in times that we never could have imagined. I wonder if we may never really know how or why God may have worked through us. We may never discover, and maybe that's okay. Because it was never about us anyways, it was about the Holy Spirit and what He might do through His people. What does Jesus' water mean? If I go back to His first line, they said, All you are thirsty, come to Me. He quenches thirst. All think, let's take us back, let's go back 2,000 years to that festival one last time. Everything was coming to a head in that moment, and all of these emotions were coming to be. If you read through this passage, if you read through John chapter 7, you can see so many emotions coming out. I, I read in this surprise and wonder, joy and elation, anger, fury. Outrage. These people knew something was going on. And if we think back to the ceremonies we've been to in life, we understand that this is going on. And they cannot be forgotten. They're such powerful emotional moments. We cannot forget them. But let us not miss this. Years later, as John would look back and write about this ceremony, he had to remember this. And I'm sure the emotions help him remember it like it was yesterday. Jesus came that day to quench thirst. And anyone who finds life lacking can discover he fills like nothing else can. And then he doesn't just pour bowls, he gives us living water. There's no way to see and understand where this living water will be. But it brings and gives us life. Jesus taught us an unforgivable, sorry, an unforgettable Lesson that day. He came to give us life and give us life to the full. He came to fill us, to quench our thirst. He came to work through us. The invitation that John gives to us from this story and and now it is, is still alive and real and well today. Will we accept this living water? Will we bring that in? When everything in this world is trying to satisfy. It cannot, will we choose Jesus? When we, when we realize that there's so much more that needs to change in this life, it will not be us that changes this world. It will be the Holy Spirit working through us to complete this, this journey. Praise God that he is alive and well and he's still pouring out his water like a river on his people today. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, we thank you for this gift of your word. We thank you for John chapter 7 where it highlights what you have done and who you are. I pray that we would be some of the ones that understand and know who you are and that we can believe in you not because of our great faith but because it, it, it's real. The, the statements and facts are clear. Lord, we thank you for this this time for us to be together, we could understand and know a little bit better who you are. I pray that we would seek you and find our, our thirst quenched in you. In Jesus' name, amen.